0: to politics this is the Michael Medved show and another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth a great day to uh, take a deep look at what the Supreme Court of the United States just did uh, president Biden says this shows it is not a normal court he was asked if it were a rogue court the Black Caucus has said uh, in Congress that the Supreme Court has thrown into question its own legitimacy. Why? Because the court has basically taken a position that people should be judged on character, ability, their own achievements, uh, their own prospects, and not been be judged uh, primarily based on race. In fact, there's a wonderful statement from uh, our guest, Ian Rowe, who is an educator, and an entrepreneur, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's co-founder of Vertex Partnership Academics, uh, chairman of the board of the nonprofit Child Adoption Service, Spence Chapin, and uh, in his spare time, he's co-founder of the National Summer School Initiative. Uh, Ian has said that 20 years from now, black students admitted to top schools Will say thank you, Supreme Court, for a decision that removes the perception that the only reason I got in is due to my race. You reestablished merit as the core criteria uh, to be considered against a standard bar of excellence. Uh, congratulations on that uh, excellent uh, summary, Ian. Uh, were you surprised? to see the uh, sweeping and definitive nature of this decision?
1: Well, as always, Michael, thank you for having me on. I actually am pleasantly not surprised. Anyone who had looked at the cases in question at Harvard and the University of North Carolina, if they looked at the actual data, you could not walk away without the conclusion that blatant racial discrimination uh, was uh, being conducted by Harvard and UNC, in this case against uh, Asian students in favor of black students. If you look at just some of the data, you know, uh, uh, an applicant, uh, you know, a, a black student applying, uh, you know, Harvard has these 10 uh, categories. Uh, you know, one to 10, you know, ranked in, um, you know, best evidence of getting in. Essentially, if you were ranked in the top one um, tenth of, of Asian applicants, essentially you had the same chance of getting in as a, a black student who may have been in the fifth or sixth or seventh uh, category. So it was just blatant, uh, blatant discrimination. I'm just thankful that the court had the courage uh, to put forth the decision and to make it on a principled basis. I mean, Justice Thomas, in his, in his opinion, said, quote, the solution to our nation's racial problems cannot come from policies grounded in affirmative action or some other conception of equity. Racialism simply cannot be undone by different or more racialism. Endpoint. It's such a it's such a powerful position because we can simultaneously, as a country, uh, acknowledge that the history of race may at one time have justified this kind of preferential treatment based on skin color, but that day uh, we've shown enough progress to say that race does not have to be the defining characteristic to make the assumption to make the assumption that simply based on skin color, you must have this special treatment. And, and I sent that uh, tweet that you just mentioned, many years from now, black kids who are accepted at elite schools will be able to confidently know that they're there based on their merit and not because someone uh, essentially looked down on them because of their skin color. You must be marginalized, you must be oppressed no I'm here because I earned it
0: there's also another aspect to this that is very very rarely discussed it seems to me which is um, there's a powerful book called mismatch which came out Mm. I think maybe 20 years ago and what it looked at is one of the products of the affirmative action regime we had in terms of college admission it was not so much that more black people were going to college it was just that they were going to different colleges than they otherwise would so that yep. rather than being admitted to uh, the central washington state university uh, you would end up getting ad- admitted to cornell which is by the way where you went to school i believe yeah uh, yes. and and all of a sudden you would be with people who of of different races particularly asian and white people who were much more prepared for the competition that is part of any kind of um high prestige high quality school and uh, this so, w- would explain one of the real tragedies was uh that the Number of black people who get admitted to college at any level, who actually finish within six years and actually get a degree, that percentage is not high enough. It's not. It's not fifty percent even. And
1: well, it's remarkably low.
0: Yes. And that's one of the things you you you're dealing with with your your work with the Vertex Partnership Academics, isn't it?
1: Yes. So. I, I have personal experiences. You just mentioned I was a student in the College of Engineering at Cornell University, and unfortunately, there were uh, students, several of my black male colleagues in particular, who did not make it. You know, they started; it was a very rigorous program, and unfortunately, a majority of them did not finish. and uh, And it's not because they weren't smart or talented or didn't work hard. They just didn't have the proper academic preparation. And so this is what mismatch is when there's such a zeal uh, to accept kids elevating their race above all factors that you actually end up doing a disservice to the very students you're seeking to help. And that's to put students in positions that uh, they're not prepared for. And by the way, this isn't only based on race. Sometimes it's, it's linked to legacy admissions. It's, it's linked to any kind of admission process that elevates one characteristic over the ones that are most indicative of the actual preparation of that student. And yes, um, you know, my hope is that this decision, not only does it remove the stigma for kids who are getting into top colleges to know that they've earned their place there. But also, it will expose the real underlying problem here, which is that not enough kids of all races are coming out of our K-12 system prepared for college and higher ed expectations. You know, that's the dirty little secret that, you know, race-based affirmative action essentially was – being treated as a back-end band-aid to try and make up for the inadequate jobs that kids, particularly black kids, poor kids, were getting in K-12. Like, okay, well, let's create special preferences for kids that are not prepared, and somehow that's going to make the overall system better. Hopefully this decision exposes the need for, yes, schools like ours that we've just launched in the Bronx, what well, we hope to believe, you know, we will be one of the best high schools uh, in the country that prepares kids well so that they can compete on equal footing. So race-based affirmative action is not what we, you know, what, what you know the system has been relying upon. Okay, so how do you
0: action. get that kind of quality high school going? And what are the most important uh, elements of that kind of preparation that you're talking about? We're speaking with Ian Rowe from uh, the uh, American Enterprise Institute, um, uh, coming right back with him on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved show and it's my pleasure to be speaking with Ian Rowe educator author and entrepreneur who was not only a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute he is the co-founder of vertex partnership academics and he is also the author of a an important book called agency which is uh, a, an extraordinarily appropriate way of uh, responding to the, the critics of the Supreme Court decision rendered today uh, that people should be judged on uh, themselves as individuals and their own characteristics, not upon their racial background. Uh, you, I'm sure, uh, have... T- touched before on the connection between agency, this idea that uh, I am the captain of my fate and that I am the master of my soul, that you're yeah. in control of your own destiny. And uh, how does that figure in to a vision of making American education across the board what it should be? I, I will just tell you we had a Chris Christie on the show yesterday and I asked him what his number one priority would be to change America if he were elected president of the United States and he said it would be choice in education uh, giving yes. choice educational choice across the board in every state and in every corner of the country. you would tend choice to agree educa- with that, wouldn't you?
1: Yes, I would choice in education and elevation of merit merit as the standard bar of excellence. You know, we talked earlier about my time at Cornell. I also was a student at Harvard Business School, and this was 30 years ago. So I was the class of 1993. So ironically, I started in 1991, right around the time that the hearings were happening with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. And there was a lot of talk back then of affirmative action. Did he get there? Did he was, was he elevated only because of his race? And I remember I was uh, my very first year sitting with uh, two black male second year students. And they were joking about how they had gotten in to Harvard Business School. And I distinctly remember one saying, because I was a diversity admit. And I wrote an essay on it you know, nearly 30 years ago. I, I'm pulling it up now, where I talked about this sense of self-doubt that happens amongst potentially really talented people, to not know if the reason that they're there is because of their own earned action or if simply someone deemed them uh, that they had to have a step up based on skin color. We can't have a country based on perceptions or misperceptions of race being an inherent advantage or disadvantage. Thankfully, the Supreme Court has now hopefully removed that So we can now focus on education and preparation of kids of all races. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, it is still the situation where only close to 40% of kids of all fourth graders in our country and eighth graders are even reading at grade level. We have to stop Mr. Christie's right, uh, along with strengthening families, prioritizing choice and education and a system based on merit, is how we as a country have to move forward. I've never had a kid in my entire history of running charter schools in the heart of the South Bronx where the parents say to me, please, Mr. Rowe, please tell my black child that you know the country is inherently racist, that we have to have you know affirmative action because the only way they can succeed is if there are these quotas or or special privileges. Not at all. Our parents want our kids to be able to excel at the highest level. We will get that if we change our focus from these quota-based systems, these artificial interventions, to true educational choice so that parents can give their kids an equal shot at the American dream
0: let me give you an equal shot at responding to something that uh, Eddie Gloud, who's a professor at Princeton uh, and, and uh, like you is also African-American he was on MSNBC and he had this prediction of the impact of the decision today by the Supreme Court this is clip 10
1: Greg. well um, you know to be honest with you it, it we will return to uh elite institutions more more specifically uh being the space for a particular population for predominantly white and asian students we will begin to see a kind of segregated uh higher education landscape and the irony, of course uh, as i try to i've anticipated this decision but to hear it i'm I'm kind of still I'm, i'm trying to manage my emotions but you know this was just one remedy Affirmative action, the only remedy to the legacy of discrimination and admissions in American higher education. And what's a better remedy, Uh, Ian Rowe? Well, fundamentally, it sounds like Mr. Glass doesn't believe in black people. He doesn't believe that we actually have the ability to work hard, to study, to to have strong families, to focus on education, to excel. Listen to the certainty within his voice. Listen to it. That literally is the perception that the Supreme Court thankfully has taken away. because what Mr. Glau just said, there is no way that black people are going to excel, are going to succeed. Complete rejection of that ideology, that is what we need. The better approach is to say, how do we have more kids? raised in strong families, preferably married to parent households. So they have strong foundations from the beginning. And then let's ensure every parent, every kid has the opportunity to choose a great public or private school for their child. That is the developmental approach that builds agency, the ability to lead a self-determined life, not some Academic, who by the way has been quite successful, so he certainly <laughs> has seemed to be able to do it. But he doesn't seem to think anyone else can.
0: Yeah, he's getting he's, amb- he's, a, a, a full professorship at Princeton. You can you can make some decent coin. Uh, oh, no, of, of course, it's re- it's complete hypocrisy. We just need yeah, to well, reject
1: this ideology.
0: And amen to that. But uh, let me ask you, what about one other thing in, in the? small time remaining to us we have kind of a remarkable situation at the moment where uh, there are a lot of Republican candidates for president and three of them are black Uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, the talk show host and uh, and best-selling author Larry Elder and Will Hurd, a former CIA agent and uh, congressman from... uh, from Texas, What do you say? Yeah, and there
1: are and, and also uh, a couple non-black uh, candidates as well. You've got Vivek Ramaswamy. You've got the, um, Nikki Haley. The, the former governor of Nikki Haley from South Carolina. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive, I have to say. So this uh, whole ideology of there can't be success continues to be um, confounded by fact and outdated.
0: Uh Ian Rowe appreciate for what you do to get the facts out there. We will be right back on the Medved show. Happy 4th of July, Ian. Michael Medved. Edvige show, uh, President uh, Biden uh, wrapping up his uh, speech this morning in which he condemned the Supreme Court because of the decision it made today. He uh, was asked by CNN's Arlette Sands uh, about the Congressional Black Caucus, saying the Supreme Court has thrown into question its own legitimacy. She asked the president, very directly, is this a normal? Is this a rogue court? And here was the president's response: a clip. The invited the congressional black they
1: Said the Supreme Court has proceeded to question its own legitimacy. Is this a rogue court?
0: This is not a normal court. Should there be? T- this is not a normal court. No, it's not normal because uh, thanks to appointments by yourself, sir, uh, your uh, justice who you appointed, Katenji Brown Jackson, and uh, the three appointments by Donald Trump and more, this is a remarkably diverse court that we haven't had for uh, two uh, people who are black, one um, justice who is Hispanic uh there are are justices of different points of view and very different backgrounds and <laughs> no it's not a normal court it's a it's a court that has actually dared to do what what most americans support because one thing about this abortion issue is that While it is true that there are very few Americans who want to uh, impose restrictions on abortion uh, from the time of conception, or even within six weeks of conception, Uh, the, the idea that before the Dobbs case, whenever people were asked in poll after poll after poll after poll, there was a very, very clear desire on the majority of people for more restrictions on abortions and to uh, reduce the number of total abortions uh, people do not think that abortions are necessarily a good thing and uh, the idea that this is somehow a a rogue court because what it did is it left the decision on abortion up to the states there there wasn't a single change that was made by the Dobbs decision, Uh, what the Dobbs decision did is it gave the states and the voters in the states a chance to make a change and to actually um, move forward. And whenever voters have had a chance to vote on uh, referenda that uh, go to this question of race-based affirmative action, it's been unpopular twice in California, most liberal state in the country. Twice in California, the voters in landslides voted against allowing universities to base their admissions policies on race. Uh, yeah, It was originally passed, and then it was challenged. And then it came back for a second round and again was validated. Same thing happened in Washington State where the voters voted and in the state of Michigan. Now, these are not all conservative states. And if there is to be some kind of recognition that it's uh, a healthier thing in the country when the law follows the strong feelings of uh, the populace, well, then that that also applies here. Uh, President Biden, of course, uh, again, has had some bad luck because this issue is going to step on everything else. And he was trying to begin his campaign uh, to... uh, uh, try to recruit enthusiastic response for what he calls Bidenomics. As he points out, he didn't name it Bidenomics. Other people have called it that. Often Republicans have called it Bidenomics because people are overwhelmingly dissatisfied with the economy. New York Times reports, Dateline Chicago, flanked by blue signs with the word Bidenomics, Mr. Biden delivered what aides called a cornerstone speech of his presidency. In it, he hailed the impact of his economic agenda on the 2024 campaign cycle heating up. The, and here's what he said. He said, the trickle-down approach failed the middle class, he told an audience of about 200 supporters in Chicago, referring to economic policies favoring lower taxation for the wealthy that were popularized by Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. Actually, it wasn't just for the wealthy. It was lower taxation for everybody. Uh, It failed America. It blew up the deficit, the president said. It increased inequity and it weakened our infrastructure. It stripped the dignity, pride and hope out of communities one after another. Is that the recollection that you have of the Reagan era? Hope was gone? Is that why Reagan won 49 of 50 states? President Biden, were you asleep when that happened? I mean, and why is he attacking Reaganism right now when it was so clearly popular? And uh, Biden says, when I ran, I came into office determined to change the economic direction of this country, Mr. Biden said, later urging union leaders and perhaps a reminder to himself that you've got to brag a little more about what you do. Mr. Biden's speech echoed his efforts for more than a year to persuade voters that the economy is humming thanks to his policies, but in more forceful terms and with little allusion to the rapid price increases that have frustrated consumers on his watch. Progressive groups and Democratic lawmakers have urged Mr. Biden to boast more about his economic record, and Mr. Biden's aides have grown confident that conditions in the economy are favorable for voters to start giving the president the credit they say he is due. Now, this is very dubious. There's a powerful editorial in the Wall Street Journal uh, called Bidenomics in One Lesson. And aside from attacking President Reagan, and by the way, the, the reason president biden feels free to do that is because there are a lot of people around out there who don't remember anything about how the economy turned around under president reagan how we won the cold war how um basically greatly improved the tax system and simplified the tax system and by the way did it all in a bipartisan way Um, Americans are worse off under Biden, said Ronna McDaniel, who is the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Most Americans believe that. She referred to Mr. Biden's remarks in Chicago as part of a bankrupting America tour. She said savings, real wages, and economic confidence are all down while prices continue to skyrocket and hardworking Americans pay the price for failed Bidenomics. Well, the inflation has slowed down a little bit, but still under inflation, and they make this very clear in the Wall Street Journal, under the inflation of the uh, Biden administration, you have a real problem with less spending power. In other words, you you may say, oh look, income has gone up, but income has not gone up more quickly than the cost of living, which is a tremendous problem. Uh, We will get to that. We will also be speaking to Doug Schoen, political guru and wizard, about uh, the one Republican who isn't running yet for president but he thinks may win the whole, uh, you'll pardon the expression, enchilada. We will be right back on the Medved ship.
1: Michael Medved.
0: crusader like, what the hell is, what is this
1: this is the michael Show. <laughs> and
0: and where is he uh wasn't that uh uh, uh don lemon was that who that yeah <laughs> recognize that voice a voice from the past uh i don't know what he's doing right now i know what the president is doing he's trying to Uh, change the numbers so that you don't have 70% of the American people who think he's doing a terrible job with the economy because one of the most important things unless there's a foreign policy crisis and we have a kind of constant foreign policy crisis the economy determines who wins the election and uh, doing this Bidenomics tour this prosperity tour that the president has kicked off yesterday Uh, What's stunning to me is there's a piece on the front page of the New York Times, front page, and it's the New York Times, which is certainly not a conservative institution or a conservative voice by any means, but uh, they have this piece in the New York Times by Michael D. Shear and Jim Tankersley. And they uh, write in the midst of the piece, you have to read the whole thing to get the full flavor of it and the full truth of it. Mr. Biden has signed trillions of dollars in economic legislation since taking office. That includes a $1.9 trillion package to hasten recovery from the pandemic recession, which uh, economists say contributed to at least some degree of a rising inflation. And, again, when the New York Times admits that, and listen, it gets even better. In the New York Times, uh, they uh, write, In other areas, though, administration officials continue to make claims about Mr. Biden's record that are not supported by evidence. A White House statement this week said that Mr. Biden presided over $1.7 trillion in deficit reduction quote, a larger reduction than under any other president in American history. That claim ignores the fact that much of that deficit reduction was the result of pandemic spending and programs expiring and not being renewed. It also does not mention that the deficit is rising again this year, even though Mr. Biden signed a deal this month with Republicans in Congress to reduce some federal spending. The deficit hit $1.16 trillion for the 2023 fiscal year in May, according to the Treasury Department. And now let me shift from the New York Times to the other major source of reliable information in this country, a more reliable source of reliable information from the Wall Street Journal. They have a, uh, uh, an editorial today uh, called Bidenomics in One Lesson. And they point out that President Biden is now embracing what we have long called Bidenomics as a badge of honor. And he's telling tales about how splendid everything is and why he deserves credit for it. The White House is going on this PR campaign because it can read the polls. Mr. Biden's approval rating on the economy is 38.3 percent, the latest Real Clear Politics average. People don't think the economy is all that great. So in Chicago yesterday, Mr. Biden touted all the new construction going on from the spending the Democrats passed in the last Congress. And there's no denying that when you spend literally hundreds of billions of dollars to subsidize certain industries, you can get new plans. But then why are voters so unhappy? They ask. The answer can be found in one lesson by looking at the nearby chart. It tracks average real hourly earning for all workers in the private economy across the Biden presidency. And it tells an ugly story about the impact of the worst inflation in 40 years and the standard of living. This is the inflation that Mr. Biden did so much to ignite with all of his spending. Uh, These are official Labor Department statistics, and they show the average hourly earnings of all private workers in 1982-84 dollars. And it it goes down from uh, average hourly earnings to 11.4, all the way down uh, under President Biden to 10.9. Now, that's the kind of thing that people feel. These are official Labor Department statistics, the journal points out. Mr. Biden can't deny them, so he had somebody fudge the point by writing in his Chicago remarks that, look, pay for low-wage workers has grown in the fastest pace in over two decades. We'd like to see how his economists cherry-picked that data to justify that one. Uh, All of which reminds us of the old Marx Brothers joke, who are you going to believe, me or your own lying eyes? Regarding Bidenomics, Americans should believe their eyes and uh, use their eyes to continue to read and to come to terms with uh, the realities that we face. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, there's a, a very strange mutual admiration society going on between robert f kennedy jr and donald trump uh... what is that about uh, i mean robert kennedy jr certainly on environmental issues and many other issues one of the uh, m- certainly most liberal candidates certainly running to joe biden's left on most issues we'll, we'll get to that coming up We'll also get to Doug Shone's uh, claim that Glenn Youngkin could still end up as the Republican nominee. But uh, there was another Supreme Court decision that you should know about that was decided today. It's gotten much less attention because it's much less significant to the great crop of American people than the decision on affirmative action. It's a decision on Sabbath observance. And uh, the Supreme Court strengthened protections today for religious rights in the workplace siding in part with a Sabbath observant Christian mail carrier who quit the US Postal Service after he was forced to deliver packages on Sundays Uh, Gerald Groff, the former postal worker, had asked the justices to overturn a decades-old Supreme Court decision which his uh, lawyers said undermines religious protections by allowing employers to deny accommodations that would cause them more than a minor convenience. At issue in Groff's case is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits religious discrimination in the workplace and requires employers to reasonably accommodate an employee's observance unless that accommodation imposes, quote, an undue hardship on the business. In 1977, the court defined such a hardship as an accommodation that would place more than a minimal burden or de minimis cost on the company's operations. Gross, Gross lawyers asked the court to overrule that decision, but instead the court uh, clarified yesterday, today actually, it was the decision was announced, that an undue hardship is shown when a burden is substantial in the overall context of an employer's business. In other words, what this means is that in the case of Mr. Groff, where you have plenty of other people who were willing to step forward and to get the extra pay and uh, the extra benefits that he would not receive by not working on Saturday, they were not working on Sunday, pardon me, there were plenty of people who were willing to fill in for him, and uh, so basically the Postal Service is obliged to accommodate him, and the question would be, why not? Uh, the Biden administration urged the justices not to toss the earlier decision, which it said has been interpreted by many lower courts and the Equal Opportunity Commission, to provide meaningful protection for religious observance without imposing substantial burdens on employees and employers and co-workers. Uh, this is considered to be a victory for people who care about religious rights. And one characteristic of this court and it's a tremendous credit to uh, President Trump who appointed three of these justices is that they have fairly consistently when they've had to address cases that had to do with rights of religious practice and expression they have been sympathetic to the uh, religious believers who stood before them and uh, dealt with those issues raised those issues Coming up on The Medved Show, we'll be talking to Doug Schoen, uh, a one-time Democrat who is looking at this election and saying, you know what, we can still do better than Trump versus Biden. And what does that mean? We'll tell you all about it coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.